This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, June 29th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, voters make their voices heard. San Miguel County sees elevated COVID numbers. Telluride enters stage one fire restrictions and a mountain weather forecast. Results are in for Colorado's primary election. Representative Lauren Boebert beat State Senator Don Corum in the Republican primary for the 3rd Congressional District. As of Wednesday, Boebert received roughly 66 percent of the votes, Corum roughly 34 percent. For the 3rd District Democrats, former Aspen City Council member Adam Frisch edged out activist Sol Sandoval with roughly 43 percent of the votes to Sandoval's 41 percent. The other Democratic candidate, Alex Walker, an engineer, was a distant third, with about 16 percent of the votes. There were also several local primaries for county positions on Tuesday's ballot, but none were contested, including Lance Waring for county commissioner, Stephanie Van Dam for county clerk and recorder, Brandy Hatfield for county treasurer, Bill Masters for county sheriff, J. David Foley for county surveyor, and Emil Sante for county coroner. All are running as Democrats. No candidates ran for any of those positions on the Republican ballot. Across the rest of the state, as KOTO's Scott Franz reports, moderate candidates prevailed in most of the races with no incumbent on the ballot. University of Colorado Regent Heidi Ganahl defeated former Parker Mayor Greg Lopez in the primary for governor. Ganahl is the only Republican to hold a statewide office, and she spent much of the campaign blasting Governor Jared Polis for how he handled the coronavirus pandemic. Polling suggests she is an underdog in the midterms, and the candidates will likely clash over abortion and economic policy. Primaries were also held in several congressional districts. State Senator Barbara Kirkmeyer of Weld County won the nomination in the brand new 8th district stretching from Greeley to North Denver. She will face Thornton pediatrician Yadira Caraveo in a contest many political observers say could determine the balance of power in Washington. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. Republicans also chose former Jefferson County Clerk Pam Anderson as their nominee for Secretary of State. She defeated Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters, who campaigned on unfounded allegations of voter fraud. And in the U.S. Senate primary, Republican Joe O'Day of Denver earned the nomination to challenge Democrat Michael Bennett. In addition to being on the local ballot, Stephanie Van Dam was also in charge of the elections, as the current San Miguel County clerk and recorder. Local turnout, she says, was about 35%. Not bad, not great. That compares to the statewide turnout of about 28%. Van Dam acknowledges that local turnout may have been because of the low number of contested races. If we do have a, a larger turnout in a primary, it's typically because there's a, uh, a contest that, or many contests that people are interested in. Of the roughly 2,100 local ballots cast, Van Dam says they had to reject 39. The majority of those, she explains, were because unaffiliated voters who received a Democrat and Republican ballot returned both, which isn't allowed. You can only return one of those ballots. That tells me I need to get the word out um, uh, much better um, so that every voter has that opportunity to have their vote counted. um, And we'll work to do that up to the next primary and during the next primary when that's relevant again. 
Tuesday's election isn't completely done. Van Dam stresses the election isn't certified and the results aren't official yet. Election night results are unofficial. There are eight days in which we may receive military or overseas ballots or folks that had their ballot rejected for signature discrepancy can cure that discrepancy and their ballot can be counted. She also wants to thank her staff and the election judges who do much of the work in the weeks leading up to the election, including registering voters, checking signatures, and counting ballots. And that's the real hard work of the election, and that's what creates a secure election in the state of Colorado. Um, and so I just want to highlight their work and, and say a huge thank you to all of them. Mark your calendars for the general election on Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. COVID cases in San Miguel County remain elevated. As of uh, last Friday's update, we've had 26 cases reported um, directly either to the state or to public health. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin speaking at a Board of County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday. She notes the actual number of cases is likely higher. And we're currently managing um, two known outbreaks in workplaces, um, which uh, spread quite substantially and quite quickly. Um, but both of them are taking proper precautions moving forward to try and minimize the spread. According to Franklin, wastewater data shows three times as much COVID as reported cases. With that said, Franklin says Colorado still isn't seeing a major strain on its hospital capacity. As of last week, um, the estimates that are that one in every 42 to 55 Coloradans are infected and currently infectious with COVID-19. Um, I would say at the height of the Omicron surge last year, it was like one in nine Coloradans were infectious. Um, this is still a very high number, but um, it's encouraging that even with this high of an infectious rate, the hospitalizations continue to remain steady. She says part of the underreporting likely comes from the prevalence of at-home rapid tests. It's still important to report a positive test to public health. That data is still really important for us to provide a response as well as to be able to provide support through the state. When it comes to testing, public health is still providing it, Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 to 11 a.m. In July, the testing is moving to the San Miguel County Annex on Main Street. Testing is also available at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and the Uncompahgre Medical Center. At-home rapid tests are also available at Public Health, the Wilkinson Public Library, and the Lone Cone Library. The town of Telluride is entering stage one fire restrictions. We've gotten some nice rains through this uh, maybe early um, monsoon cycle that's coming in, but um, it, it is not the, the, the type of uh, moisture, obviously, that will end a long time persistent drought. That's Telluride Town Manager Scott Robson speaking before town council at a special meeting on Tuesday. Under the restrictions, campfires, charcoal barbecues, and grills are prohibited unless in a permanent fire pit or grate within a recreation site. Gas and propane grills are also allowed if they have an on-off switch. Fireworks are prohibited, as is smoking, unless in an enclosed vehicle or building on hardscape areas. Individuals may not operate internal or external combustion engines without a working spark arresting device and possession of a fire extinguisher. Robson notes most of the restrictions shouldn't be a surprise to Telluride residents. Uh, really, most of that parallels where we're already at as a town throughout the course of the year. 
He adds fires will still be allowed within town park. Which is a designated park with designated fire pits. Um, we would continue to allow for that, uh, that type of uh, campfire burning within pits um, in town park, for example. Um, otherwise, most of uh, these prohibitions um, exist uh, throughout the course of the year in Telluride, certainly fireworks, things of that nature. Individuals will also still be able to use personal established grills on their property. You know, the biggest takeaway for all of us is, uh, especially for those folks on the edges of town, um, uh, even out in the county, please don't start campfires out there right now um, without uh, being within an established pit in an established campground. It, uh, we've just got too much uh, danger out there uh, in uh, kind of this persistent drought we're in. Town council unanimously voted to implement an emergency ordinance, placing Telluride in stage one fire restrictions. The restrictions went into place on Tuesday, June 28th. They will be in place indefinitely. But elsewhere, restrictions are loosening. The town restrictions come as San Miguel County lifts its stage one restrictions. The sheriff's office says recent rains over much of the county have increased fuel moisture and lessened, but not eliminated, the threat of wildland fire danger, allowing restrictions to be lifted. And earlier this week, the U.S. Forest Service also rescinded its Stage 1 restrictions in the Uncompahgre and Gunnison National Forests and the Fruta Division of the Grand Mesa National Forest. Though the Forest Service still urges visitors to continue to pay attention to their actions, especially in areas with dry vegetation or dead and down trees. After years of work, it's finally time to find out who will be the first to live in the newest units of affordable housing in the Telluride region. The Sunnyside Lottery will take place Thursday, June 30th at noon in Rebecca Hall in Telluride. The town received 181 household applications for the lottery and approved 172. There are 20 units available in the lottery for the general public. There are also five units set aside for residents of Shandoka F Building which is slated to be reconstructed. Of the applications received, 10 are from F-Building households. If you are in the lottery, you do not have to be present for it. Unit placement will not take place at the drawing, but will happen over the following days. Move-in will vary for those who do get a unit, depending on which type of unit they're in. The tiny homes and three-bedroom units are estimated to be ready for move-in at the end of July. The four-bedroom units are estimated to be ready in September, and the one- and two-bedroom units are estimated to be ready for move-in toward the end of 2022. The Sunnyside Lottery will take place Thursday, June 30th at noon in Rebecca Hall. Once upon a time. That's how Telluride local Wendy Brooks's father would start all of his stories. And that was during World War II when, you know, there were blackouts and, and, you know, life was very different and, you know, we'd, we'd huddle under the covers and, and my dad would go once upon a time and come up with some outrageous story. The phrase became the inspiration for the title of Brooks's own epic book, Once Upon a Lifetime. Brooks self-published the memoir last fall and we'll discuss it this Thursday as part of the latest edition of the Wilkinson Public Library and Between the Covers Authors Uncovered series. The 400-plus page book took Brooks about a decade to put together, partly 
because she didn't plan to write a book. At first, she just started writing little stories from her life. Problems that I'd had, challenges I'd had, things I'd had to overcome that I, I needed to discuss with myself. And so I used the computer to talk to myself and write down little things. That went on for a couple of years until she realized those little stories could add up to a book. Brooks moved out to Telluride from California with her kids in 1976. I was looking for a remote and quiet rural kind of environment in which to raise my kids and so I got in my VW bus and I spent five weeks driving from Big Sur, California, where we had been living it, through the Rocky Mountains. And one morning I ended up in Telluride and went, oh, this is exactly the kind of place I was looking for. Her years in the San Juans could probably be their own book, but the Box Canyon doesn't even pop up until more than halfway through Once Upon a Lifetime. I had a lot of chapters of life before I came to Telluride. Brooks was a first-generation college student. She went to graduate school at Stanford, quit graduate school, worked with Cesar Chavez, and worked on the war on poverty in Washington, D.C. In Telluride, one of the first things she did was to help start the medical center. There was no emergency medical care in Telluride, and, and there was a, an operating underground mine, so it was totally illegal, and therefore it was really easy to get a federal grant and make it legal and start the medical center. She also served on the school board, but Brooks acknowledges for a lot of people, she's probably best known for founding Telluride Academy. I know a couple of thousand people in town because they all went to Telluride Academy, and a lot of them are grown-ups, and some of their kids are now in Telluride Academy. So that was a real high point of my giving back to my community. Now, Brooks splits her time between Telluride and Mexico. Like the protagonist of any good story, she has a couple pieces of wisdom she's garnered along her journey. Be humble, be smart, live outside the box, and once you're outside the box, make a new and bigger box to live in because it makes life so much more interesting. Never miss an opportunity to do something that you think is probably impossible, but you're willing to try. That kind of stuff. Wendy Brooks will discuss her memoir, Once Upon a Lifetime, at the Wilkinson Public Library this Thursday, June 30th, from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. For anyone who can't make it, Brooks says she's happy to do private readings at people's houses, because she explains, it's fun. The Telluride Film Festival has announced its 2022 guest directors. Kantemir Balagov and Kira Kovalenko will curate a series of films for the Labor Day Weekend Festival. FilmFest describes the duo as dissident Russian filmmakers. According to a press release, Balagov first came to the festival in 2017 with his film Closeness, which also won the Fipresci Prize en certain regard at the 2017 Cannes Film Festival. 
His second feature, Beanpole, was an Oscar shortlist. Balagov is currently working on a TV series, The Last of Us, which is slated to run on HBO next year. Kovalenko's trip to last year's festival was her first time in the U.S. Her 2021 film Unclenching the Fists, Film Fest Notes, was released to much acclaim, including winning the grand prize Uncertain Regard at Cannes. The 49th Telluride Film Festival will take over the Box Canyon September 2nd through 5th, 2022. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight, with a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms, and a low around 50 degrees. Thursday expects showers and thunderstorms with a high in the mid-60s. Thursday night should be mostly cloudy, with showers and thunderstorms and a low around 50 degrees. Friday calls for partly sunny skies with a 70% chance of precipitation and a high in the mid-60s. Friday night should be partly cloudy, with a low around 50 degrees and a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms. This has been the news for Wednesday, June 29th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team, 970-728-3206.